The Persistent and Nasty podcast is a series of interviews and informal discussions with inspiring women and other marginalised voices in theatre, film and beyond. From actors to activists, we aim to amplify these voices and invite the world to stay nasty. Hello you gorgeous lot and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty Podcast. Elaine here, how are you all doing? Hope you're looking after yourselves, staying well and for the second week in in a row, enjoying the sunshine. Well, in Scotland anyway. Today I chat with Julie Sang. It was a lovely discussion for me. I've actually known Julie for 20 years almost, although we probably haven't seen each other for about 10. So not only did I get to have a catch up with her, um, we got to talk all things creative, being, uh, being in this industry and navigating our way through the pandemic um, we talk about what it's like to be a mum in this industry as well as being a creative and how that obviously impacted while um, people were being homeschooled and looking after elderly relatives and what happens when you know you're not getting to do the thing that feeds you. Um, really brilliant episode and Julie gives some great hints um, and tips for those of you who are um, aspiring playwrights and screenwriters as well. Um, so just a really lovely episode. You can follow us on all social media, Twitter at Persistent Nasty, Instagram at Persistent and Nasty, Facebook Persistent and Nasty. Send us a wee email to persistentandnasty at gmail.com. You can also follow Louise and I on social media. Louise is at Ms. Louise Oliver on both Twitter and Instagram. I am at Elaine Stirrett on Twitter and Elaine.Stirrett on Instagram. We are, as always, humbled and overwhelmed by those of you who continue to support the work that we do. Um, we realise that our adv- advocacy, if I would help if I could get my mouth to work today our advocacy work seems like it's been quite quiet um of late but it really hasn't we have been doing a lot of work behind the scenes um and looking forward to letting you all know about that um as you know we are unfunded um so those of you who do donate to us it really makes an incredible difference um so if you can there's a paypal link in the show notes and Honestly, to everyone who has supported us, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Um, advocacy and being an activist is tiring. And, um, yeah, <laughs> it's tiring. And there are so many worries that you're not getting, you're not doing what you wanted to do and get that work done. But it is happening just slowly and we are... Um, grateful for the support and love and we'll continue to fight the good fight and thank you to everyone who helps us do that. For today's episode, oh I don't know, maybe a nice um oh a wee fruit juice seems to maybe it's because it's sunny, I'm just thinking that. Or a maybe a wee bit of something fizzy, a a wee April spritz um, 
or you know, just a good old cup of tea. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Julie Sang, welcome to the Persistent and Nasty podcast. Hello, hello. I'm I am so, it's so lovely to have you. And um, this is going to be interesting because you and I have known, I've figured it out, I think we've known each other for 20 years. Yes, actually, I think. Oh my God, that's, that's a long time. We have known each other a long time. I we know. haven't seen each other for possibly maybe like 10 of them. Or I think that's probably, possibly more, but I think 10 is probably about right, which is insane to even think that but it's so funny isn't it how social media makes you think you're involved in people's lives Mm -hmm. and like you see people much more regularly than you actually do because I'm like quite a nice thing though isn't it it's quite like I know it's kind of I'm not the best at po- especially Facebook that's kind of like but I don't post that much on it and I forget that if you post stuff on Instagram it goes straight to your Facebook then I'm like oh yeah that's right that that, that happens and <laughs> um, but I actually enjoy like seeing what everyone's up to and because it does it keeps you connected with people that you not necessarily see in everyday Absolutely. life and uh, yeah so so yeah. yeah so I do feel like I, I've I know what you've been up to and all the wonderful things you've been doing but uh but I haven't actually seen you in person. But then I know, which is which is insane. Oh, but I am very, very glad to be able to chat with you today. Um, now, for our listeners, give us a little bit of a potted history of yourself before we get into the old meat and bones of the episode. Oh gosh. Um, so what do you want to know about how, how you started in the industry? Uh-huh. What your passion when that began? Twenty years ago. No. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, years ago, I started. We, we met when we when I was studying acting, and I had a very short stint of trying life out as an actor, which I actually really loved. Um, but what I loved the most about it, when I really think about it, is that I loved devising work. I loved making. I love collaboration. I've always loved collaboration, even though a lot of the time I sit on my own and write. Um, I absolutely get so much out of working with other people and I think that's just theatre isn't it when you come from a theatre background that's just the, the the nature of it so all the acting stuff I did and I had I kind of did some I did a few things at the Archies and some device work and um, did some kind of street acting things as well theatre tours and stuff like that but I always secretly wrote my own stuff and didn't show anyone because I was um, really quite nervous about someone else getting into the kind of like into my mind and the the way I think <laughs> which yeah. um, I don't know what that means um, or what that says about me but yeah I was just really quite I kind of held it all to, to my chest quite a lot I didn't really want anyone to read it I was also quite worried about people reading my work and finding it like grammatically not written well or I'm a terrible speller um, and I just got so caught up and worried about that and then I did eventually let someone read my stuff and the they liked it and I was like oh okay never thought for a minute I would ever be a playwright um do you know I didn't even know what a playwright was until I started drama college um I didn't even know much about I did a little bit of plays did some Shakespeare in school um in English but and I liked that actually but uh my head was somewhere else at that time I wasn't really thinking about what like long-term career at that point or anything like that um and then I left school like uh, in fourth year so I wasn't a big fan of like education or school so I didn't think I would go to uni I didn't think I would study acting of all things um but 
yeah, it's just strange. It's just strange that I ended up becoming the thing that I never thought yeah. could even be a possible, possible job for me. I think that's that's what was. Whereabouts did you go to school? So I went to I went to two schools. I went to Queens Park Secondary, then I went to Shawlands Academy. Um, and they did have a drama department. They did have drama in Queens Park. But the time I left, there, I'd picked my subjects to go to Shawlands Academy because um, Queens Park had closed. And when I went there, they didn't give me drama as an option. And so I didn't study drama. I just did English and I just wasn't a very good student. Um, it's really because I didn't get into teaching in my older <laughs> age, but uh, I wasn't a very good student and I had lots of kind of complications growing up. So uh, I just kind of left um, and then slowly made my way back into education. So I was kind of learning things for the, for the first time when I got back to when I started uh, alongside. Um, and I just discovered what I loved about um, studying drama was all the people like all the people that I met and uh, it was like really lovely true friendships but you were all making something and sharing an experience and I've just got so many great friends and that's why I feel like we connect after all this time because we shared that kind of time together um but for me it was a real learning curve and then I obviously was reading loads of different plays getting to know different playwrights um and I think the best thing for being a writer I'll always say is if you're an actor you can write I always say that because you first and foremost think about character and you think about the motivation of that character and you think about um you know you, you think instinctually you think about everything as a as an, as a, as an actor and, and taking on a role so if you automatically think about that when you're writing a piece you're going to write something where you're really thinking about those characters and the journey and, and what they're feeling and thinking and what they want and what they need and that's all you need for a writer so I just think it was a really for me I think it was a really great um it was like fundamental in my writing that I, I, I did some acting and, and ex also experience being on a stage being on a stage in front mm -hmm. of an audience learning lines remembering your lines being in character I think that's also important because you know then how it feels when a cat when an actor's going to pick up your script and they're going to read your words so you have this thing where you know how it, you think about how it's going to sound and obviously every actor you work with is going to be different and they're going to bring so much this is what I love about collaboration because the actors bring so much to what you you've written you know and I definitely think it's a collaboration because the actors then can take something and you might have not necessarily thought, oh, that's what I was going for. But I tend not to be too precious because I think together you can make something really brilliant. And that's why theatre, I think, is fantastic because it's everyone's everyone's putting in something for um, to make the best possible piece of theatre that they can. So. so true. So many things you've just touched on there that are the like little the extra bonuses of being in this industry is like the friendships that you make along the way because yeah. I think sometimes especially as a performer like the way that we train and learn is obviously so different from other people just going to uni and it's so intense and it's like it's almost like a three-year relationship you have with everyone like all the ups and downs and the the heartbreak that comes along with that and then you know that you've then got ones that still you're still really close with yes. like 20 years down the line and yeah. like yeah and just that's a really lovely thing and I think it's what you're saying about that sense of collaboration and creativity joined together is like when you're open enough to say oh I think we maybe we could try that and someone else is open enough to go yeah let's try it and see what happens mm -hmm. and then that little bit of magic 
can happen in a room and it's just it's really lovely and there's also that you just said as well about being a teacher and the mm-hmm. fact that you know you, you didn't enjoy school all that way all that much <laughs> oh, I didn't enjoy school at all I really had not a great experience of school um but then I got into teaching because um, I was working as an actor and then I was doing all these different jobs and I had so many different jobs, waitressing, all these different things. And then I just started thinking about trying to, you know, get some roots down, just get a, a job, <laughs> just get a real job. So I went into teaching because I love te- I used to teach drama um, like at stage schools and stuff and like youth groups. Yeah. And so I was doing all of that anyway. And I thought maybe I should go into teaching and, and, and see what that's like. Um, and there was lots of it I enjoyed. There's lots of it that it's very institutionalized teaching. So I guess that was something I didn't, if you come from a freelance background and you're used to going in with and, and kind of coming up with your own ideas and being quite creative. And then all of a sudden you have to follow a curriculum. And don't get me wrong, the curriculum in Scotland was, was great because at that point they'd, there was so many changes though. It's another thing, they changed so many things. So it went from standard grade to intermediates to national qualifications. And you're getting your head around all of that. But um, there was some freedom within it, but also, um there was um there wasn't for me anyway there wasn't um but what I loved most about it was the young people that I used to that used to be in front of me and I used to absolutely love um just I love teenagers I think they're the most brilliant like people like oh my god how can you work with teenagers they're they're wild or this I says no they're just they're just they're kids that just are at that point where they're like coming of age and they're just like what like you know they've got so many hormones and puberty and They've got so many things going on in their background that you just don't know about. You know, you don't know what was yes. going on behind closed doors, and no one does. And I think they're just fabulous because they just say what they feel, and I just think that's brilliant. And I used to have a great time with all the kids that took drama. I absolutely loved it, um, and I did it for a good ten years, I think, like part time. I ended up going part time uh, after maternity leave and stuff. So it was a big part of my life actually. But the whole time I was writing as well. Um, but again, it was like. A really great experience and I probably I can make go back into it I do supply now and again if uh, there's no writing jobs which is because uh, they're always so few and far between um but yeah I just loved working with the uh, young people yeah I just think it's really important that you know people hear that that side of things that you know we're so focused on especially to our young people like you must get this you must get that you must get all these qualifications or your life isn't going to go anyway yeah I think that's what is kind of like I find the most kind of like why I was so conflicted with being a teacher and teaching in that kind of way because I would have to make sure kids were able to get through a particular qualification and if they couldn't you know meet that qualification due to ability or whatever it was then we wouldn't put them forward and that really used to kind of I really hated that part Mm. of it because I could see them in front of me and I know that they could I know they could do well. I know they could pass the acting exam. I know with some support and some help that they could get there and they could get some kind of qualification. But uh, that that's, you know, you have to be based on evidence and if they hadn't been in school for whatever reason, even yeah. though there's like so many things that could have happened that are out of their control, I just felt like, you know, it just so it kind of gave me a kind of feeling of a sense of I wanted to kind of be there and help them, give them a good experience. But um, ultimately just working in a school setting was quite, wasn't wasn't for me and I, and I absolutely applaud teachers I think they do a brilliant job I've got lots of friends that are still in teaching and I think they are wonderful humans doing brilliant things um but I guess it was just my time to move on yeah no I completely agree and um I, I think no I'm like you I've done lots of work with young people and I do 
drama classes and workshops and I've had it from you know parents to other people like oh why don't you go and be a teacher and I what you're saying about not having that freedom to do what you want and to just help and cut well you're doing it encourage them but you know that kind of thing of going no they deserve this but you can't Mm -hmm. give them that when it's not followed along the line of an institution so it's really tricky I'd feel the same I just think it's so great for people to hear that you know you left school fourth year and now look where you are and that kind of process and path that you've been on I just think it's really you know so that everybody remembers school is at a certain point it doesn't define who you are completely oh no it doesn't at all and I don't think I properly knew what I wanted to do until I was 30 (laughs) honestly like I was writing and stuff but I didn't even like and so sometimes I meet young people and I'm just like wow you're so switched on you know what you want to do I applaud that's amazing because it took me so long to know what I wanted to do and at the same time I was always just kind of trying lots of different things and then I kind of fell into writing and then now I'm like at this point in my life I'm like well I'm kind of here now so I'm going to just need to continue with this can't be changing it now Yeah, you can you can change you can change, keep changing as much as you want but yeah, on your great. writing though I wanted to ask the first person she talked about showing someone the first time was it a friend that you showed your writing to or was it someone who's not as close to you for that first time of showing something um gosh let me think um it was in a it was in it was part of a, a after I left um school I went to college and then after college I worked as an actor for a while and then I went and did like a top-up degree at uni and it was a module in playwriting and I showed it to a playwright so it was a playwright that saw it and it was like kind of weak and actually I did it in Langside as well I just remembered I did some of it in Langside with Steve as well um, so I think it would have been two kind of lecturers or stuff like people that would, would yeah. have an understanding of playwriting so that would have been the first people that would have saw. Because there's that thing isn't it like um, I mean I know a few people who are writers writing and you kind of oh it, it, what you were talking about about kind of giving it away to people it's such a huge thing and then yeah. you give it to someone and they're like cool yeah cool I'll, I'll read it and then you're like have you read it yet? Have you, can, you, can you let me know have you read it because did you hate it because you haven't let me know yeah. <laughs> um so there's that kind of thing of it's quite it's so personal it's really personal but then I think I guess what happens is it's kind of can't seem with acting I suppose after a while you just think you know it's personal but it's your interpretation of this character and the story and it's come from you but it is a story at the end of the day you know um, it's not none of my stuff is autobiographical it might have things I've experienced within them I think most writers I think yeah absolutely experienced or things that they are, are switched on to or are interested in but um so I don't take it too personally but usually like I think if you're starting out you should send stuff to either if you know playwrights or writers fantastic and send them a really nice email and be like you know but and just don't send them the script straight away though like have a conversation get to know them first because I don't think a lot especially now I think people are working trying to get back on this kind of like the momentum that was lost so a lot of people are just working constantly but maybe things like Playwright Studio Scotland they have a script service script reading service um there's loads of mentorship schemes where people want to read your work and I think you can pay for some um feedback but I'm not really sure I'm not entirely sure but if you go online and look up look up like BBC Writers Room and all this kind of stuff they've got play stuff on there um and you could find like script reading services and then what they'll do is they'll give you proper um feedback where it's not going to be like your pal or something it's 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 going to be basically and I think the feedback you should get should always be like a shit sandwich you know where you get like something 
yeah. positive about the work. This is what could, this is what maybe doesn't really work. And then, but this is like overall, this is a really, you know, this idea has got really something in it. And, and if I give people feedback, I always try and give them feedback like that because it's really not nice to read that your work is awful and terrible and all these things. It can really cut someone up. So I would never do that. Someone's bold enough to, to want to write something and that should be celebrated. Absolutely. Um, on the right path to like how to make, yeah. it, make it, make it more. I get excited by reading people's work because... I get excited by like really like intriguing stories or especially if it's something I'm not really I don't know a lot about so I'm like oh wow that's is great what about from this perspective and what's this character so I'd always get feedback that was really to lend the pair they don't have to change anything or do anything I wouldn't even make suggestions it would be more like questions for them like questions about so what does this mean and I feel when I get questions about my work it makes me think of the solution rather than someone telling you what to do. For our listeners Julie what was your first play? that was put on oh my first play <laughs> was uh, called like this and it was on at the tron theater in 2011 and it was quite an experience i was writing right up to the um the day before the performance it was a bit hectic and crazy and after it, i'm not sure i wanted to be a playwright afterwards because it was such a mad experience but then i started writing things that i wanted to write because I think when I started out, I was writing things that I thought people would want to mm. see. Mm-hmm. So then I started writing what I wanted to write. And I had my work on at Stage to Page, which is part of um, Playwright Studio. And that's where I became a proper playwright, I would think. That's where I started to, you know, go back and really work on my craft and then think about the stories I wanted to tell. And that's such a brilliant uh, thing stage to page because you've got actors and directors in the room as well when you're shown um, on a monthly thing and just um, hearing your words out loud as well. And like I was saying earlier, directors and actors are so wonderful because they just really get it, you know, or they have some, they bring their own kind of like visions or their own ideas to what you've done. So it can only ever be better. You know, everyone's there wanting to do the best for this little scene that they're going to share so it's always quite I don't know it's just a great way to hear your words and you know we I used to help facilitate for stage page and I just remember every night was different you know you had different pieces that were selected um, and you would always be surprised by what ended up you know what, what you ended up watching or if it was your own work what what, what would be done with your work and I just thought it was a brilliant way of like getting your writing out there and losing that fear I suppose of like hearing someone say your words because it was really it was in a room where everyone was kind of um everyone was there with good like good intentions and it was supportive and encouraging so I would always say if you're starting out yeah like scratch nights and stuff like that and stage to page and, and things like that are brilliant and I think there's quite a few of them I think there's one in Edinburgh as well and there's there's loads of them all over now so yeah that's yeah, yeah there is there's one and I think just that sense of community, isn't it, as well, that yeah. the arts can really give and that feedback comes from a really genuine place of wanting to encourage each other and just yeah. kind of keep building each other up. And um, so from there, you've kind of moved on and done more plays and moved into TV as well. Mm, just recently, I think the pandemic hit and just before I was like, oh, you know, finally, like I'd given up my job in teaching <laughs> and I remember saying to like one of my friends I was like I mean, what's the worst that can happen I'll just, just apply the worst that happened was there was a pandemic 
<laughs> so that was the worst and then it was just about yeah and everything went a bit mad and uh, like my husband lost his job and all these kind of things it was all but bloody crazy but anyway I just thought well I wasn't really making much money in theatre because you don't anyway and um and then you sit for ages like you have your play on so my play was on at the Pleasance in London and I remember thinking this is great now that this has happened there's got to be so much work that comes after this and there was a bit of work that came after and I was like oh, this is brilliant and then we went into lockdown and I was like oh shit this is it yeah. this is it's over <laughs> the playwriting yeah. career is over theatres have closed what am I going to do I don't want to go back to teaching what can I possibly do and uh, I really wanted to do tv writing I've always wanted to write a film but I had this kind of weird like oh I don't know if I can do it I just don't know much about it you know I mean I love tv watch tv all the time watch movies all the time so then I just took some time to kind of um yeah just try it out and and, and read stuff and BBC Writers Room has all your script all your kind of pilot scripts and stuff available talking to people is a massive thing joining like groups looking and seeing what's out there on kind of opportunity pages to write for telly and then I was lucky to be selected for a children's BBC kind of mentorship and that was just lovely because everyone is what exactly what you imagine it to be like people that write for telly for sorry people that write children's telly are just so bloody lovely they're so lovely and it removes all that kind of like fear or, or um like how you think tell right writers and telly would be they're just all so 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 bloody lovely and just really warm and encouraging so and there was a lovely group of writers I think there was six was there six of us yeah, I think the six of us. And we all just met recently at Salford um, and it was just so, so joyous to be in a room with all of them. And then you build up all your kind of like connections that way. And then, and then you just yeah. uh, the best. So I've written quite a lot of telly and I'm waiting to, not that it's on anyway, I've written quite a lot of pilot scripts, sorry. And I've lots of pitches. I've been to tons and tons of meetings. Um, but it's that waiting game, isn't it? It's yeah. like, you feel really good after a meeting. You're like, oh, this one might get optioned. And then, nothing happens and then you have to email them be like hi I remember me and then go see them it's just and then I'm like god so you're doing that for theater already now you're doing it for tv and now you're doing it for film I'm like when are you going to get when are you going to get the time to just chill out <laughs> and what is that constant cycle isn't it in our industry oh, yeah. it's like the constant like that waiting thing is really hard and I actually I don't know if it gets easy or if it's that you just kind of you find ways to deal with it yeah, I was told actually that um, I was on a, a thing with, with Wild Child with uh, Ollie Lansley and he was saying, he gave me the advice, which I really liked. It's like, so you're, you, I had wrote this TV pilot and honestly, it took over my life um, and it took so long, so many drafts of it. And I got it to a place where I thought, this is it. And then it was sent to uh, K Productions um, and Nicola Schindler read it and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then Sky Arts read it and all these, and they were all like, they all gave really good feedback. And then I went for meetings and everything. And then it just went so quiet. And then I was like, what do I do now? And Ollie was like, what do you mean, what do you do now? You work on the next one. I was just like, what? what? I was like, that's that. You just, you work on the next one and you just keep going. And he was like, obviously you don't, you take a break, you take a rest. He was like, but you just keep generating more work. And it's not like writing full scripts, right? Even just like log lines, like a notepad full of little ideas, you know? And um. And it does actually. So I did feel like I gave my life and soul into that, that pilot script. And I'm like, is that ever going to get made? But no, it's a good calling card script. So it gets you to rooms to meet people. And then they're like, so what else are you working on? So it's good to have like yeah, things to, to pull out your pocket. So you're going in completely armed with 
all these fantastic ideas. So you're not going to be like, oh. Do you think that's one of the differences between writing for film and telly than for theatre, that that kind of having that... Here, I'm thinking about this short film is happening, this, that is that a difference or was it, is it very similar? It's funny, I think theatre's going that way as well. Like I've been in a couple of meetings and, you know, they'll read a script or they'll read part of a script or whatever and they'll go, oh, you know, <laughs> this is the usual thing, isn't it? It's like, oh yeah, that's great, but you know, it doesn't really fit, you know, it's not really what we're looking for. And it is that thing of like, what else are you working on? So they might like your writing, that particular play that you've written doesn't fit with them. And that's fine, you know, that's just, you just got to get used to that. That's just the way it is. But I think it, and I don't know whether they do the ask for it or not. I'm not sure, but I always give other things I'm working on because it just, I think it's good. And then it's about relationships, isn't it? I feel theater relationships are so lovely because people will always answer an email and always be like, yeah, we want to meet you. As long as you, as long as you send a really nice email and, you know, not, you know, constantly hound people like if you'd go about it in a nice way and not send them all your scripts just be like hey you know I, I really love the your the work you program and I'd love to come and chat I'm a writer did you do all this kind of stuff and then they will meet you for a coffee now it's great you can meet on zoom so that used to be when I used to drive tri- travel down from Glasgow to London and I don't even think I used to get I used to do it on the King's Cross trains wasn't the Houston wasn't the Virgin train it used to take so long and then you'd go down and have all these meetings and then be like oh my god that cost me a fortune what was I even thinking yeah now you can just have a zoom so that's that's one benefit I think with them what the whole COVID thing has brought that we can we can chat on zoom thankfully yeah you pay any money or get childcare or do any of that kind of stuff you know? yeah and that that's something that we kind of said that we would chat is like the fact that you are a mom and you're a parent and you know yeah like balance and all of that and it's something that it's the role that women have to are kind of left with a lot of the time not always I know that but it is that kind of balancing act that kind of gets left to the women to deal with the parenting side of things and then your work side of things as well I mean during the lockdown it was like it was insane everything shifted and I was doing the majority of the homeschooling. My dad was really sick and he, the care system, like uh, my dad used to get like four visits, three three visits, sorry, from the carers that would come out. And then all that stopped because people were off and, you know, isolating. So then they just called us up and because my dad had family, they were like, we can't, nobody's going to be there to see your dad. So my dad didn't have a great a lot of mobility so I took him to my house um, and then I was over at his house and I was doing all this stuff I was homeschooling so writing just went completely out of my I didn't even think about it but I did long long for it you know like at night I'd be like oh I'm stupidly when you've got all these things going on there's a big crisis you're like oh I really missed my writing career I don't even know if I had a career in writing to start with <laughs> what's happening you know so you that kind of all those thoughts um so yeah, that was really difficult, but oddly, I did manage to still work. I think it was like for me, it was like a, I don't know. I just had to. I just had to do it. I just kind of like, if I didn't do it, I would go crazy. So I think it was that kind of like, and I wrote about a lot of stuff that I was experiencing at the time. And actually, one of one of the monologues did get picked up, and it was put on with a project with Theatre Five Hundred Three, like Imagination Project, which was really lovely. Actually, all about community and getting people to like pick up scripts and act within their home when, when they're in lockdown. So I really liked that. Um, so something good did come out of that. Uh, and I think I guess what I'm trying to say is, 
yeah, things did go back and I was doing a lot more of the like the homeschooling and all that stuff. But sometimes I think if you're a writer, it just it still does come out. You still do it. Yeah. But I did not pressure myself to do it at all. I just was like, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And then it just did come out. And I think it was my way of kind of coping with things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I bought a yeah. material now, but you know, it just does. Must have been I mean, that in itself, there's so like, if you never remember the beginning of the pandemic, people like, you know, if we don't come out of the pandemic, like super fit and um, oh. have written your greatest masterpiece. I'm like, everybody is literally just holding on. Oh yeah, there was that line people were saying like Shakespeare wrote King Lear during the plague or whatever, and it's like you know what are you what are you waiting for? And I was like, oh my god, if someone says that to me, I'll murder them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What am I waiting for? Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, is did did Shakespeare have an elderly parent that they were having to look after, or a young child that yeah, they're having to look or, after, yeah. or... or Netflix on demand? You know, where you can just be told to stay trapped. But it is also that thing of like you know, for those people that. Would, and probably for creatives who'll be listening to this that will feel that like a lot of us went from kind of having maybe three four months planned out to Mm. then nothing yeah and then not knowing when the next thing's coming and that's really like that does it pulls the rug from under you on top of there being a pandemic and people dying and you're seeing it but for you you're homeschooling and also juggling caring for your dad like that's so much to deal with yeah and I think everybody was because it was like everyone was grieving in some way for the loss of like the the normality that they used to have or the actual grieving loss of of relatives or you know and 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 it was okay I think to grieve your your job or your creativity or you know because that's kind of like what you held on to what meant a lot to you absolutely I think it was okay that you could feel that way and 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 allow yourself to be like this is shit you know like yeah. are we going to be able to get back is theater going to come back and I remember th- so that's why I was like I'm just going to start writing telly because I mean there's still tv things going on but it was a really weird time to be honest I mean mm-hmm. I think it was all over the place anyway just with things that were going on but um I look back in it and I just think it feels like a really short time but it was so long <laughs> yeah I know yeah I know exactly what you mean um and I think I kind of joked about the fact that, you know, living in Glasgow, we were in lockdown longer than any other place. Yeah, in that's the UK uh, throughout the kind of year and a bit before mm-hmm. things got in. I was like, why are we still here? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> yeah. But um, I think you're so right about that idea of grieving and letting that kind of process happen. It's so important. And I think if anything, like, I think that's what I've learned after the whole, like, not that the pandemic's over, like, we're still in it, but I think that kind of all the lockdown stuff, it was a real, like, I think, what am I trying to say? Sorry, my family have just come home and they're so loud. What was I saying? Um, Yeah, so I think um, it was a kind of time where, like, now everything's easing, right? So I've been to theatre quite a lot of times now. I've seen quite a lot of work. Um, but I just, like, get this such a joyful feeling when I go and see something because I'm like, oh, my God, we're all back in our room and we're watching a live performance. And I'm, like, standing up and clapping because I'm like, you came out your house and you did this. I mean, I watched the performance last night at Hampstead Theatre and it was the actor, I don't know what her name was, but she was incredible. The energy she had, it's a one-woman show. And I just think everyone's just so lacking energy. Then I mean, she was just like this powerhouse. I was like, wow. Um, and it's just so nice to be 
meeting people and sitting next to and also it's weirdly it's nice to be sitting next to strangers even though you're like masking like oh my god but it's like oh I've missed that kind of like connection you have with yeah. everyone in a, in a space that you don't know mm-hmm. but you all felt something at the same time you all gasped at the same time or you all responded then you'll walk out and you're like oh and you might talk to someone you've never met before and be like what did you think of that, that bit there you know and, and you keep talking about it when you go to the bar and that happened last night and I was just like oh my god I, I didn't realize how much I missed it until it happened it's so true I went to the theater in March and it was it was my first time in a Scottish theatre. I've been in a saw Constellations last summer in oh, London. Oh, wow. Lovely. It was great. It was great. But I mean, we were still quite like, you know, in it at that point. But yeah, so my first kind of trip to go and see something in Scotland. And it was like, oh, I think I was so overwhelmed by the fact that I was back in a theatre and I was seeing a piece, a new piece of uh, theatre with, people that I know and people that I don't know in it and surrounded by different people and it just I, I think I was so overwhelmed like I kind of was like oh my god I, I think I like the play no I did like the play I was like I loved being in the room <laughs> more but than the whole anything thing was like an experience wasn't it the yeah. whole thing was this it was kind of like quite overwhelming and quite like I remember um feeling like because I've seen a few things I remember sitting in the theater and being like I cry because I'm so happy <laughs> ridiculous yeah. But it was just because it's like, oh, I didn't think this was ever going to happen again, where everyone would be in a space watching a performance, because it's just so, it's such an amazing thing to be part of, because you're part of that as an audience, I always think you're part of the whole thing, um, whether it's immersive or not, like something happens in the room, which Absolutely. is Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, no wonder, I get that, uh, yeah, I've had those feelings. Um, so I think I'm more appreciative, is what I was trying to say, coming out the, the lockdown and all the work that I get and all the work that I don't get I don't feel as like I'm like oh that is rubbish getting rejections that's just that is just part and parcel with it you just you know you you get up there you spend a day like kind of going off oh, that was a bit shit but then after it you're like you know everyone gets rejections no one is successful without you know being told no otherwise that's just not real life you know yeah so um, I think it's just now I just feel a bit more I just really want to appreciate all the, the the good things in life so I feel a bit like that I feel a bit more like strangely uplifted after a really dark time that we all went through yeah no I think that I really I really like that and really connect with that as well it's about finding those really beautiful moments right mm-hmm. and I think it's so important what you've just said because I think a lot of people who maybe aren't in the industry, arts industry, whatever, whichever part of it you're in, kind of look at people, especially social media, and go, oh my God, they're really successful and blah, blah, blah. But they don't know or think about the amount of rejection that you've gone through. Because, yeah. I mean, you know, as an actor, you go through it all the time and you're constantly questioning yourself and the yeah. and but as you say it is part of the process and it is when you then get those yeses that it's like okay well it's all part of it and not they're so much sweeter aren't they when you get the yeses because mm. you're like ah oh, finally yay. yeah and then it really just kind of like energizes you again to get the next 10 no's <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it is true because also there's a thing about I think if you don't get that as you say there isn't an appreciation for it and you take that can be taken for granted and then because what we all want as you said at the very start Julie is being in a room with people who want to share and are open and if 
actually, if you've not had that, those kind of rejections and you just kind of go, oh yeah, it's totally fine. You're not, maybe not going to come in with that kind of sense of fun and creativity because you know how lucky you are to be in that room. Yeah. But also I think that there's definitely like you're lucky and you're fortunate, but also like you deserve to be there. And yeah. I think sometimes as women, we don't like for years, I had such bad imposter syndrome. I was like, mm, mm. I think I'm doing this. I think I'm a writer. I don't know if I'm a writer. You know, I was doing all that kind of stuff. And then I just thought to myself, oh, for the love of God, you're a writer. Just admit it. Just go on with it. And that's all there is to it. Because, you know, if you don't take that job, there's going to be a cis white man that takes it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that you know that that's it so yeah. so you just have to go for it and I don't mean any disrespect in any way but you know sometimes it's okay you're on the persistent and nasty podcast <laughs> yeah. it's totally fine. Yeah. and sometimes some women you're like you, you just don't want to ask or you don't want to you don't want to send someone an email and be like hi I want to meet for coffee and I actually know a artistic director who said to me the amount of guys that will email and say, oh, can I use that space if no one's in there? Can I use this? Can, you know, if no one's using it, can I get like, can I just use the space in kind and I'll have a, like, you know, an R&D or can I, can you read my play? And they're like, no, no, women, no, no women do that. They're, they're always like, oh, hi, I'm kind of apologize. And I'm so bad at apologizing. I used to be so bad at apologizing and emails. Before. No worries. I mean, if you can. Now I'm like, right, come on, pull yourself up. Be a bit more like, okay, can we meet? I'm available yeah. these days. Are you available? Let's meet and have a nice, you know, you're not being an arsehole. You're being a nice person. And, and you're just, you are your you are your work you know so you have to go out and try and get it and I think when you end up in rooms because I used to be quite terrified when I'm going to like rooms with all these other writers I'd be like oh my god they're amazing writers and I'm sitting there I'm like such a I'm such a fake I'm sitting with them they're coming up with all these brilliant ideas and I'd be like oh dear lord you're going to come to me and I have nothing <laughs> and I used to get so worried and I'm like you know what you always have something because you wouldn't be there in the first place if you had nothing so it's just about I don't know like you belong in that room mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. you ever get in a room you belong there and you stay there and you bloody enjoy yourself and yeah it comes down to luck but it also comes down to hard work and it comes down to um yeah whatever you've whatever you've created and and, and how you are as a person I think if you're if you have good intentions and you want to collaborate and share with people then you're going to you're going to do you're going to keep working because people want to work with you and a lot of tellies like that they want to know that you're not going to be quite precious with things and they, they want to know that they can work with you and they want to know that you're not going to um you know that you can handle like getting rejections or getting notes after notes after notes not to take it personally so it's a lot of it's to do with personality as well which is odd I found but I'm just kind of like taking baby steps in so I'm not the most experienced in the hotel thing but that's just what I've kind of experience so far I sometimes think though that's the right time to speak to anybody about anything is at that very start of stuff because that's when you notice so many things rather than when you've been doing it for so long because you're I think sometimes if you're doing something for so long you've got used to your way of it working rather than Mm. noticing all the other stuff that goes along with it so I think that's really I think it's really important to hear it from that point of view and just you know, just what you're saying there about the imposter syndrome and you are right. I think no matter probably what job you're in for a lot of women that we all, we've all had moments where we feel like that and just, you know, hearing someone else say you belong in that space is so important and just Mm -hmm. let that kind of stay with you and sit with you. It's just like, yeah, 
That's been said to me before when I've felt like that. I've spoke to other writers and it's been always been women writers. And I've been like, I don't know if I sh- if this is, a, you know, just for advice. Um, and they've been like, go in and just embrace it and just do what you normally do and stop overthinking it. Because I'm a big overthinker. I'm a big anxious overthinker. And then I'm like, right, that's it. Just go in and just, and sometimes it's kind of like acting. I'm like, I'm just going to act like I'm meant to be there. <laughs> So see, the acting comes in handy. <laughs> no, it's so I don't know a creative person that isn't an overthinker. Yeah, true, true. Like I, I really can't think of anybody that I know that that's creative, and whether it's design or writing or a performance or like a photography that is not mm. an overthinker. Like they just like so. There's definitely something in that that mm. we can't quite maybe that's what makes us as good as we are because as we overthink it yeah we overthink everything <laughs> we over the, I mean sometimes I'd quite like to not overthink at all maybe just like a little bit would be quite nice yeah <laughs> yeah like put it's a pen in to the point where you're like overthinking it so much you're like what's even happening I've went down this like total rabbit hole yeah rabbit hole I don't know what, what am I not what am I worried about yeah <laughs> you're creating all these other things to be worried about yeah and life just now is very grim right let's let's be honest things are are hard for everyone just now and I don't know if it's like because you see what's going on in the world with how um, informed we all are now and I just think yeah like if this is your job and you're going to do it I mean I'm not I'm not saving lives and just making up stories and if I can get to be in a room, make up stories and have a really nice experience with other people that are there making up stories and that's all grand. That's good. You know, just simplify yeah, but it. Also, you never know though as well, like you say, yes, none of us are uh, doing brain surgery or anything like that. But mm-hmm. from the work that we might create, that might really chime with someone and maybe just help them help through. Really... Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. Because that's, like, yeah, it's all, it's everything. It's all the entertainment that got us all through the lockdown, you know? Yeah. Music, TV. Absolutely film and then plays were being um digitally like on digital digitally so people could access them so it was all books everything it was all arts yeah we yeah. needed to get us through do you um so being a writer and obviously you were an actor as well um and you're a mum have you found it easier being a writer and being a mum than being an actor than being a mum for balance yeah, yeah. so I've been a mum for years because I had my son when I was younger. So when I knew you and I had, um, I was acting, my son was a lot younger. And I used to think what was difficult was trying to go to an audition that would be last minute and then find someone to babysit and then run to that audition. And it could have been, I was in Glasgow at the time and it was in Edinburgh and trying to get through the, and it costs so much. And then you've got somebody, you either like beg somebody to babysit or they're at school and you've got to put them into after school care or whatever it was. Um, and then when you get the job you'd be away from home for a long period of time rehearsing and depending on what it was that could go into the evenings and stuff as well which I find quite tricky as a parent because in the evenings I just want to sleep I'm just useless once I have my dinner I'm like I just kill over and go to sleep so in the evenings I don't have that energy level so I used to always want to try and do things during the day because you've got school right so that's kind of childcare you've got um, but it was very difficult um and you always had that kind of like parent guilt of like being out rehearsing because you're doing something you really love, right? But then you were like, oh, I feel so bad. My kids at home and someone else is looking after them because I'm trying to make it an actor and I'm not really getting really far as an actor and all these overthinking again. Whereas with writing, um, you can just do that in your house whenever. So I used to write a lot 
in the evenings when I was working. And uh, now I would say that I am very fortunate to just write now. Um, I say that month to month, I might go and do a bit of supply if it's not all working out. But now I write during the day because at night I'm even more tired because <laughs> I'm older. <laughs> um, but I would say it's the, the only time I'm away is if I have to. So I work for a company in Newcastle, so I go to Newcastle um, every so often. But a lot of the time it can be on Zoom, which is good. Um, I quite like meeting in person. I quite like collaborative work. I'm a very, I like being in a room with people because I think it, um, it's just great. It's just really great. Um, but yeah, I don't have to get a babysitter to write. I can just do it when yeah. I'm at home. Yeah, yeah. So there is that kind of, and it is really hard. I mean, <clears throat> not a mum, but can imagine like that kind of just that having that other responsibility as well as trying to find money to get to an addition. And mm-hmm. if you have to then pay for it's all of these little things that I think that I'm hoping that when we come back, the industry might be a bit more kind about. I think the industry is getting much better because there's that organisation, isn't there? Is it Pippa? Pippa, and it's like yeah. Parents that are um, parents and carers in the arts, and I think I haven't really accessed. I've had a look at what they do, and I remember hearing about it, but I don't know if it's more catered towards performers and actors and directors who kind of are, are away from home. Um, whereas I don't think as a writer, I've never had to to use. I've used them to kind of get some resources and stuff, but I've never had to actually. Um, I don't know too much about them, but I know that they are an organisation that's up and running and, and they're supporting parents in the arts. And I think there's going to be a few, and, and a lot of um, companies now are like, they know, like, I don't feel, I feel like I could say, I can't do this particular day or I can't do this particular time. Can we meet um, like within, like this, my daughter's at school, so can we meet within the time frame of school so that I can, you know, either meet you with it Zoom or not? And, and most people are pretty understanding now. So I think there has been a shift. But I think it's gotten a lot better. With terms of like getting trapped, like I was, when I went to, um, I went for an interview for the job in Newcastle and it was a kind of like a, a day, like a full day kind of workshop interview thing. And they paid for, <laughs> they paid for childcare, they paid for my travel and they paid a fee for you to attend. And I have yes. never had that yes. before. I just remember thinking, oh, really, no matter what happens, I want to work with you at some point in my life because that is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. That is, um, that's, that's the minimum. minimum. That's happened to me once. <laughs> I know, but that should be the minimum for everyone. And that is yeah. brilliant. So big up that company in Manchester, yeah. Uh, yeah. Newcastle, sorry, Newcastle. Because um, that is like, that's exactly what we should be doing. Yeah. as well because again you know some people are carers for elderly relatives yeah. and that in itself is like a huge responsibility like um so it's yeah well done them I want to give them yeah. all the shouts out well done oh they're the- called open clasp so yeah they're a women's theater and they're fantastic they're doing phenomenal work and um, but yeah no that was brilliant and uh yeah like I think um, I think so. Definitely, think there has been a shift, and uh, it can only get better. I would hope, and uh, yeah, for carers as well, because not everyone has kids, but they have other caring responsibilities. And I think we need to be more open and aware about that, and understand that that's you know that's life. That's what people have, um, and sometimes in some applications and some job apps, um, there is like you can specify your your caring needs and stuff. So I saw a lot of that recently, which I think is really good great that's so important and I'm really glad it's been included and it's making me yes hopeful 
hopeful the positive the positive thing positive positive mm-hmm. now before we finish up we ask a question of all of our guests so um the reason we're called persistent and nasty is we started all our kind of work on the kind of cusp of the me too um yeah movement and we've taken kind of some phrases so there's the Elizabeth Warren quote nevertheless she persisted and then um we like to reclaim words and you as a writer obviously uh, will understand that that especially the words that are used against women a lot yeah so mm-hmm. moany bitch witch bossy all of those things that are used as a, a negative to try and reclaim them to be a positive and nasty um previous president of the United States um, in his debates called Hillary Clinton a nasty woman when she gave him correct facts. So there was then a Twitter storm Mm. of like all these CEOs and surgeons saying, well, if she's a nasty woman, hashtag I'm a nasty woman. So that's why we're called it. So Mm. Julie Sang, what does the phrase persistent and nasty mean to you? God, I should have done my homework and remembered you were going to ask me this, and I don't know. <laughs> really on the spot, under pressure. And um, what? On the spot pers- is my favourite kind, though, because that oh, made you come out with something amazing. Well, this persistent and nasty. Um, if I come up with one word, or just what would just describe what it means to me? Go. What does it mean to you? Everything that it makes you think, feel, just say it. I would say persistent and nasty means to be is oh, yeah just like a woman like I'm persistent and nasty I'm persistent because I'm still writing after all these years <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, I'm gonna keep doing it and I'm nasty because I'm like you know what you need to deserve to be in that room and don't take any shit anymore and just do what you do you know um so I don't know if that's a great answer no but uh, it's it all right um and you know just if you've got anything coming up, you can let us know and we will share all of that. But um, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Oh, it was so lovely to see you, Elaine. It was so lovely. And thank you for um, having me on the show. No, I'm so glad to have you. And um, it's been a real joy. And until next time, lovely listeners, stay nasty. If you enjoy the Persistent and Nasty podcast and support the work that we do, please like, download, subscribe and review each episode. It really does help us get our message out and our incredible guests heard to as many people as possible.